0: The Rise Up Conference is fast approaching. So, if you've been sitting on the fence and you still have questions, make sure you reach out to me on Instagram and find the answers that you need because the Rise Up Conference is going to happen whether you are there or not. So, if you are sick of procrastinating, sick of playing small, and you really want to elevate yourself to this whole new level of being in business and being the leader that you want to be in your industry, then this two day weekend is absolutely for you. Two full days of game-changing magic, subconscious work to help shift any blocks that are keeping you playing small and help you really connect with your mission as well as with amazing women in the room. So to find out more and to book your spot, head to riseupconference.com.au and book your ticket now. Now let me introduce you to our interviewee today. I recently had the pleasure of interviewing Adina Jacobs from STM Goods and Mentor Walks. Adina co-founded STM Goods in 1998 with her business partner, Ethan. As early pioneers in developing protective backpacks and accessories for laptops, they've built their business over the past 22 years and have expanded globally, undergone a major rebrand, and launched a virtual AR app. Most recently, with businesses moving to a remote setup with COVID, the demand of protective accessories for digital devices grew almost overnight, seeing a surge for the STM products that they'd long been developing. Adina is also a major champion of mentorship, having co-founded the Australian chapter of Mentor Walks, which is a monthly event series connecting emerging female leaders on the cusp of success in their chosen area with an established leader or achiever. Our conversation today covers the importance of setting foundations before leaping at new opportunities, innovation and how to move with fast-paced change, making growth decisions without causing the business to fail getting scrappy to make sure it gets done, dealing with the impacts of COVID with a global business, crisis management with a global product range as well as a global team, how to be a better business partner, how failure has become the mark of success, connecting with a mentor, pivoting events from being in person to online, giving back in times of need and the value of great leadership. Now let me introduce you to Adina Jacobs. and set your soul on fire to take massive aligned action in your business so you can take your life to the next level. Ready to get started? Let's go. Incredible. So I am so excited for this conversation. I wanted to take the opportunity to welcome Adina to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Christine. It's really, really good to be here. Well, thank you for setting aside the time because I'm so really looking forward to diving into all the ins and outs of your experience in business, being in business for over 22 years and with two different elements of your business. And I really would just love for you just to begin with, just to give us a bit of behind the scenes of where you're at right now, what's happening for you and tell us a little bit about STM and mentor
1: walks. Sure. Okay. So I'll be brutally honest and say it's kind of organized chaos, but it all seems to work out in the end. I think a lot of... A lot of people look at um, a business that's been around for 22 years and then they look at, you know, our type of products if they're familiar with them and they think, oh, it all runs so smoothly and everything's perfect and she's a superwoman. But the truth is, like, that that doesn't happen without a lot of finessing behind the scenes and a lot of support and a lot of mistakes and a lot of learning on the go and a lot of forgiving yourself and just moving on to the next thing and learning. So. I'll I'll give you a bit of a like background to STM first. So we, like you said, we started 22 years ago. I was working for a fashion company, not a high fashion, but sort of like a streetwear fashion company. Um, I was the accessories buyer and my business partner, Ethan, was the IT manager and he bought a laptop and he couldn't find a bag for it. He could only find one of those black, very basic, boring briefcase style bags, which didn't suit his lifestyle at all. He was studying at the time. He was riding to work some days um, He needed a backpack or something comfortable and he really wanted something that was not screaming out, I have a $5,000 laptop in my bag. So he put his laptop in one of those padded envelopes that you buy from the post office and he put that in a backpack. And that was the beginning of an idea that turned into this 22-year-old business with product in 30 countries and covering different devices and that kind of thing. So we used to, we live in the same area and I used to give him a lift sometimes and on the drive, we'd talk about, You know, this idea, and we sort of spoke about it to a point where we realized that it was he could not be the only person looking for this type of product, and the cost of laptops was coming down. Um, It was really something that was becoming a lot more common. Um, You know, the internet was just starting to kick off, and so people were really using their devices a lot more. It was pre smartphones, pre iPads, pre surfaces, all of that. It was literally the devices we were talking about were laptops. And the other key thing about Um, why our products were important is that we were really looking at protection of the device and this was pre-cloud and also at a time when most people didn't back up. So all of their data was on their laptop. And so our protection was about protecting their device, but also their data, which is much more valuable than the device itself. So, you know, we were passionate and we told a good story and we got 500 units in on our first order and convinced people that this was the next big thing. And, and it worked to a certain degree. I mean, it worked. So that's the, the very beginning of STM. That was in 1998 that we started. We, our head office is in Sydney and we have a, a very uh, important office in San Diego in California, which houses our marketing team, half our product team and uh, local sales. And then we have uh, a sales team in the U.S., sorry, in the U.K., a sales team across Asia, and then we have distribution partners in 30 countries. So we've got good distribution of the product um, globally. And I think, you know, when people think about a brand like STM, firstly, a lot of the time people don't even really know they have an STM product, but then once they've met me or once they hear about it, they go home and they're like, Oh, my laptop bag is an STM bag. So that's kind of cool. Although it'd be nice if they knew it ahead of time, if the brand had a bit more presence than that. Um, but people think about um, success of a brand through their retail presence But actually in our business, retail is only part of the story. We have three main verticals that we work in and product that suits each vertical and product that crosses all three of them. So we do a lot of work in retail, but the really heavy part of our business is in education. And then we do a lot of work in corporate and a bit in government, which is sort of comes under the same banner. Mm, So that's the, that's the STM kind of nutshell story. And then mentor walks is completely different and, completely unrelated in so many ways it's you know STM is about product and development and you know something you can touch and feel with your hands and mentor walks is about supporting women to to grow in their careers to earn what they should be earning to have the confidence to take the next step and to support other women as well so the the background story to mentor walks is first of all I'll just explain what it is it's a mentoring program for women And the way that it works is that um, in each location we have events either monthly or bimonthly and we bring together a group of women who are mentors and then women who are mentees and we match them up according to a question that the mentee wants to address. We put two or three mentees with one mentor and then they actually go off on a walk together. And for an hour they discuss the challenge that the mentee wanted to talk about, and that they all support each other. The mentor learns, the mentees learn from each other, and everybody walks away with a bit of a spring in their step, some new information, a new contact, and two or three new people that they have as part of their of their tribe and their community. Mm. So the the background story to mentor walks is that four years ago I was invited by EY, Ernst and Young, to be a part of a program that they run called Entrepreneurial Winning Women, where they They run it globally, but the Asia PAC program is around 20 women from the Asia Pacific area um, who are growing their businesses. They're on a growth agenda and they want to grow beyond their borders and their businesses of a certain size that employ a certain number of people. And so they bring these 20 women together at a three-day conference that they hold somewhere in the Asia PAC area. And then they bring in speakers, they run workshops over that three-day period, and then for the year after that, you're connected to that group of women and also connected to the cohorts of the years, the previous years. So I was invited in 2016. Our conference was in Shanghai. And one of the women who was speaking at the conference, actually, she's originally Australian, but she lives in Asia. And she started Mentor Walks in Beijing. So she was talking about the concept. I made a beeline for her afterwards and said, what is this? And she said, well, actually, there's a walk on tomorrow. Why don't you come? And there was another woman in our group, Bobby Malab, who's also a Sydney entrepreneur. And we both decided to go to the walk, saw the concept in action, and within minutes said, this is a no-brainer. We each have 20 years' experience in different industries. We know people at the mentor level. We know people at the mentee level. And this is something that we can bring to Australia. Mm-hmm. So over the last four years, we've run... many walks over 300 walks we've had three and a half thousand women come through the program as mentees and we've recently done independent research to show that we are having a measurable and real impact on women's employment in Australia which is phenomenal and I'm so proud to say that we can support women in that it's pretty crazy and also the last thing about that is that during or due to COVID we've pivoted a little bit and we've taken the walks online so that we can still have a similar experience and bring women together at a time that they really need connection um, and so now we're running virtual walks or events um, but as restrictions ease and as people's level of comfort in getting back outside and being with people they don't know comes comes up again then we're reintroducing the physical walks but we will keep an element of those virtual walks on as well yeah i love
0: that and i actually i love the concept of the walks and It's actually really interesting. Last night I went to an event and one of the women who's a really successful entrepreneur, she's been in business um 13 years, I think she said. And she was saying how at her level, there is no real other women that she knows that has achieved what she's achieved, and it feels like a lonely space. Yeah. Like and then hearing you speak to speak to it like that, I think it's such an important part to have a mentor and to be able to have those conversations with people that have been where you want to go to help you have insights and to be able to have that extra support. I think it's such an awesome concept. So we're going to dive more into that for sure. Um, I would love to first, actually, to talk a little bit more about STM and the growth that you've had and the expansion that you've had over the last few years, especially now with COVID. Um, So firstly, actually, I really would love to know what was what actually had to happen for you to be able to go global? Is that something that started early on or was it a few years in? And what were the kind of parameters that you set before you went
1: global? So that's a really good question. And I think, look, if I think back on how we did it originally, the very first part of going global was very organic. I, so Ethan is very business-minded and very financially conscious and savvy. And I'm more of the product marketing Side of things. And so back when we first started and it was just the two of us, we had very complementary skill sets and we've sort of overlapped each other a little bit over the years. So I know more about the financial and business side and he's a lot more involved in product, but we still really do maintain those areas of strength. And it was very important to me early on that, especially being in the consumer tech space, which was really boring, it was about grey rectangular laptops and software. And all of the tech publications were, they were talking about things that a lot of people, unless you were like a prop geek, they didn't really care that much about. And so having a product that looked really cool and that was more of like a streetwear type product was something that was a very easy sell to the, the columnists or the people who were doing the editorial work in those kind of publications. So for me, it was really important for us to establish a brand. And it was pretty easy to establish a brand in that space because there wasn't much else around. And the product like looked interesting and it was easy for them to say, okay, we're doing five letter of the month giveaways, give us five bags. And so for us, it was easy to be able to do that. And from that, we like, we had people approach us. So we had uh, a retail store in Singapore approach us we had a, an online store and this was in the very early days of online stores where you couldn't buy online, but you could, they were using their website as a catalogue and then you could like email them or talk to them and give them your credit card over the phone. And then they ship the product out to you. That's how long ago it was. Yeah. So, you know, we, we had a bit like that. We had, um, they used Mac, like Apple used to, There used to be in the Apple ecosystem. There was a huge consumer show called MacWorld. And so we would exhibit at Macworld every year and then we'd meet people. Like we went to spend time with our customers from Australia and we went because we wanted to explore what was happening overseas. But we didn't go with a massive growth agenda. We didn't really know what was involved. So the year that we decided to really go and try and figure it out, it was, I think it was 2002 and, I mean, it was just the two of us in the business at the time. We closed the doors. MacWod was for a week in January. We flew to San Francisco. We got invited to a couple of parties. We met up with the people that we knew from Sydney. And we just kind of scoped out what was going on in the on the global stage and how we could do it. But we've always had a really, really strong ethos of making sure you get it right in your backyard before you go for this exponential growth that you may not be able to support. And for us, that's about being able to support it financially and also being able to support the customer service and quality side of it. So it was important for us to make sure that our quality was good, that our systems were good, and that our factories could actually cope with growth. The worst thing as far as we could could consider at the time was going out there and talking about it and making everyone think that what we had was awesome and then breaking it because we couldn't support it. And I mean, I remember we met someone who said, we can get you into every it's a, it used to be a retailer with like thousands of retail stores in the States called CompUSA. And we said, no, we don't, we, that sounds great. Thank you. But we actually don't want to go to CompUSA. Can you bring us someone who's got 30 stores? We'll make sure it works and then we can roll it out from there. So we've always been a little like we're, we're big risk takers, but we've been conservative in the way we've done it to make sure that we can deliver on our promises. Yeah, so for huge. us that's been successful. Like we've we've mm-hmm. been able to grow. And so, you know, in the beginning it was a little bit organic. And then as we've grown and as we've had the resources to go a bit further each time, we've had specific plans around okay, now we want to tackle North America. Now we want to tackle Mexico. And so in each location, we found a good partner who can represent the brand. So it's either a sales team that works for us or it's a local distributor, depending on the country. And then also depending on the country, we've set up some sort of warehousing facility. So it's either a third-party warehouse that we manage, or it's through a distribution company that can house the products and ship it out locally. And then the the last leg to that stool is um, PR. Like how do people know about us? How do people know about the brand? And so we engage a local... PR agent to then get the name of the brand out there and get the product into the right hands. And so we have developed a more mature global growth strategy over the years. But you know, sometimes it just happens that we get asked about something and we just jump on the opportunity if it's worthwhile.
0: Yeah, awesome. But I love that you've considered that you need to have those foundations in place and then you've been mindful of what you take on board because you're so right, like it can be detrimental to a brand.
1: To, yeah.
0: to put yourself and take those opportunities because sometimes opportunities seem so amazing that you feel like you can't turn them down. Yeah. You knew that that was something that that could be detrimental. So I love that you guys have taken it definitely, and steady and grown as you, as you go.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing there as well is that like, it's all very nice and well to think about having, you know, your product in a thousand stores. But if you, like, even if you just think on the business side of things, you need to order your product from your factory in Asia. You need to pay for that product before it ships. And if you've got long terms with this potential amazing partner overseas, you have to pay for your product six months before you get paid for it. And so you have to make sure that your business can afford to sustain that while still paying the people who work for you, while still making sure you're a good partner to the factories. It's lovely to think that you've got orders for thousands of units, but you have to pay for those, and so you have to bring that into play when you 're making the decisions on growth
0: yeah, massive. is there any other
1: major lessons that you 've had through the expansion and the growth that you 'd love to share? Oh, so many, so many I mean one of the one of the big things, and this is because I really focus on the product side of the business as an owner, I you know I care and I oversee a lot of what goes on. Ethan, my partner is the CEO, so he 's still the financial brain behind the business, but as the partner whose main focus is on product quality and usability and repeatability like being able to repeat orders and and maintain supply are so important to me and one of the things I learned very very early on in the process is you don't want to be standing at the container terminal praying that when they open the container your product looks okay and because I, I had plenty of times when I thought what was being made was what I wanted to be made and then when you actually get it in your hand they've substituted fabrics or they haven't packed it properly so it's squashed in transit or there's a myriad of things that can go on from a quality perspective either with the manufacturing or in the transit of the product so i have learned through some really expensive lessons that the best money that you can spend is on quality control of your product before it leaves the factory mm. once you let it leave it is no longer the factory's responsibility. So you need to make sure that you've spec'd out, yeah, that you've spec'd out the right product. So you've given them the right tools to be able to build the product that you want, that everyone is very clear about what that product should be and that you have an independent quality control inspector. Go into that factory and check not just the product, but the packaging, the barcode stickers, the way it's packed in the master cartons, the way it's packed on the pallets and the way it's being shipped. And then you can be confident that when it arrives a month later, you've got good quality product that you can sell and then you can, you can give your customers what you promised that you would. Mm, lots of, that's, that's probably the big biggest big, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you deal with the innovation? Because constantly
0: tech products are changing, changing size, changing forms. Like, How do you manage <laughs> that innovation and keep up to date, but then also be able to manage the stock levels and be able to manage you know, all those new products coming out?
1: Look, we're we're in a fortunate position now that with the size of the business where it is, that we do have people who can focus on things like inventory control and logistics. And it's not a team of each people in area. We've got one person that manages global inventory. We've got two people that manage global logistics. We've got three people that do quality control. So we've got, but, you know, they're all specialists in their area and I rely on them to feed me the right information. And I also understand what they do. And so I can see whether there's anything that I think needs to be, you know, touched or troubleshooted or whatever, whatever needs to be done. But um, when it comes to innovation, so much of it is about having an open mind and having really good relationships. So the technology moves really, really quickly, as you mentioned, and we don't have access to forward understanding or knowledge of what these new devices are going to be. So we need to have our systems set up really well so that as soon as we find out what's, what's happening with the devices, we can put into play new products or additions to products or modifications to products that then meet those those devices and then are on the shelf as quickly as possible. So part of that's about relationships and making sure that our doors are always open and our customers always feel comfortable to come to us with ideas and with um, with you know what they see out there. Part of it's our own research, going out and understanding who's doing what and where the gaps are. Uh, a lot of it is us just spitballing and saying we think this is a good idea. And if we you know once we do a bit more research and we take it far enough, we create our own innovative ideas and we bring them to the table and we show them to some trusted customers early and they bite and so we take it to market and and sometimes it's about just being able to move really quickly and being smart in like how much stock you hold and how much material you have prepped so that you can just act fast and i think you know we're not a massive business and we're not a tiny business we're in that really good sweet spot where The owners are operators. We can make decisions quickly. We're not bogged down by bureaucracy, but we also have the money to be able to make decisions and we can afford to make a few mistakes. So I feel like we've gotten to a really good good point with that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And by the sounds of it, you're very hands-on even with everything with your team as well. So you mentioned like even with the, the logistics, you know what needs to be done and you understand like you oversee it. Is that something that you've really focused on for the whole of those 22 years where whatever tasks that you give your employees or whoever you're employing, that you actually know the role inside and out yourself?
1: No, it's not. I wish it was like that. Um, It's more about it was just about desperation and need in the beginning. There were only two of us and we had to do everything. We did everything from, you know, set up the PR box and deliver stock when we couldn't afford couriers to I remember our first shipment came in and they didn't have zip pulls on them. So before we shipped out every product, we had to put six zipper pulls on each bag. One shipment came in without hang tags. So we had to get them printed down the road and put a hang tag on each bag and a barcode sticker. It's all just been, you know, like we didn't know. I was 23, Ethan was 26 or 27 at the time. We, we didn't have experience. We just I think that's part of like that entrepreneurial mindset where you don't have to know everything, but you have to know how to solve the problems. You have to know the questions to ask and you have to know what to like, you know, how to bring in the right information and just do it and get it done. Yeah. So, I mean, we're we're scrappy, you know, like it's, (laughs) it's, 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 I don't know how to do it because I've set out to like, you know, understand every single part of the business. I know how to do it because I had to figure it out. Otherwise it didn't get done. And now I'm really lucky that the people who are doing those jobs are much better at it than I am, but I have enough knowledge to understand what they're doing and ask questions that might poke holes and suggest you know different ways or you know a lot of the times they're not intentionally siloed but everyone's just so busy that they're kind of stuck in their little zone but I have and so does Ethan oversight into everything and so I can see something that sales is doing that might help with logistics or with marketing and so we kind of bring those people together to learn from each other so Mm -hmm. it's more about scrappiness and not scrappy in a bad way it's just the like oh maybe we can put that and that together and it one and one makes more than two you know so that's kind of where it comes from
0: I love it I love it it's awesome Mm. um so then let's let's go and speak a little bit about this year because this year has been (laughs) (laughs) has been intense for a lot of businesses so I'd love for you to share what were some of the big things that happened first when COVID first hit is it did you feel it from overseas first or did you feel like feel it here in Australia
1: so we felt because I'm product and and the the product is made in China for the most part. Some in Vietnam and some in India, but mostly China. When um, COVID was first, when it started to first make rumblings in China, we heard about it because we have very good relationships with our factories in China, and so just in like general conversation this little thing that we heard about on the news was also something that we heard from our partners in Asia. And so we started to sort of triangulate the information. But the biggest indicator to us that something serious was going on was that they, so they have um, Chinese New Year holidays in January, February every year. And most factories take off around a month. Like it's usually two weeks, but a week before and a week after you can, predictably rely on the fact that nothing much is going on in factory like in the factory world and for the first time in history that anybody I know remembers the Chinese government extended Chinese New Year because what happens is most people don't live in the towns that they grew up in and so during that Chinese New Year holiday everybody goes home so there's a mass movement in China of people who work in different areas and regions and go home for the two or three week holiday and so they they the government extended Chinese New Year so that there wasn't this mass movement of people coming back and bringing it with them and so we sort of sat back and went holy that is like there's something big going on I have never heard of anyone extending Chinese New Year Mm -hmm. and then because there's a big sort of blackout of products coming out of factories around that Chinese New Year time, we always plan buffer stock that holds us over for the next couple of months. And so we were really fortunate that we didn't really suffer from a, like we didn't, a lot of companies you can see, like don't have stock. Even, you know, like places like Kmart have gone through, Mm lots of you know sales in certain areas and you go in and their, sh- their shelves are empty. So we didn't have that because we had planned to be out of stock for a while, or sorry, not to be able to get stock out of factories. And so, but in the meantime, we're scrambling to think like, how how does this work? Like what do, what happens if we can't get products? So we started investigating how do you make product outside China, but that's like a two-year exercise. And so it's not really realistic as a way to save yourself from not getting product out of China. So you know, we just, you know, we do have really great relationships and so we just made sure to stay on in very close contact with our factories and we did whatever we could do to support them, like, you know, even down to just not putting too much pressure on them and not making them stressed about our stock so that they could focus on getting their factories ready to come back online and, and meeting government standards for when they could have workers back in the spaces. So that, that was kind of the first thing for us as a company that we had to deal with and then beyond that, there was lockdown where retailers closed. And we were like, I mean, the first, the big, big thing for us was when Apple closed their retail stores because we sell a lot of products through Apple Retail globally. And it wasn't so much about the loss of sales through Apple Retail. It was more that if Apple thinks this is that serious, then we better take it seriously as well. Yeah. And so then we started to look at our product roadmap and understand what are the areas that we... Think like we have three verticals that we work in. We work in retail, we work in education very strongly, and then we have that corporate and government market. And so when we look at product roadmaps for the next 18 to 24 months, we look at how everything we do will fit in with each of those three verticals. And so when we started to understand that maybe retail will be clamped down or online would be more prevalent than bricks and mortar. We looked at, you know, what are the products in our roadmap that it's not worth spending time on and resources and what are the ones that it is worth spending more time on. So, for example, you know, we shut down uh, the plan to do a 20,000 milliamp battery because people weren't really travelling as much at the time and that was something we could pick up later once travel picked up. Um, Whereas, you know, we knew that education was going to be huge because people were studying from home. So what are the tools that we can give them that allows them to use their devices more easily, that it allows schools to get their you know, iPads and surfaces and laptops out of the school environment and into the home environment. Like what can we do? Everyone's so stressed and they've got so many things that they're balancing. What can we as a company do to help our partners in other areas make it just a bit easier? Like we don't wanna stress them, we wanna make it a bit easier. And that really put us in good stead because it allowed people to think we're the no brainer partner that just makes things easy for them. And so they came to us to help them resolve challenges that we could resolve. And so for us, it's, look, it's been shocking in a lot of ways and we have a, like quite a sizable team in Melbourne who have been in lockdown for close to six months now with young children homeschooling and still trying to meet their sales targets and all the rest. It's been very difficult, but like as a business, we've seen it as an opportunity to be better partners and to deliver a a better service to our customers and also to like to be a better partner to our factories so there's been a lot of upside to us not just in the financial side of it but also just in like how do you be a better partner Mm,
0: yeah awesome and I think that when you focus on the service from that perspective everything else will follow right like if yeah you were too focused on the things it's like products and hardcore sales, then you would have missed out on those opportunities to be like, how can I serve these people on a deeper level that's going to help them yeah. solve those problems? that they and, really. I mean, I
1: probably shouldn't say this because like at the end of the day, your business is about being viable and it's about, you know, financially supporting not just the people who own the business, but you're providing jobs for people who work in your business. But to me, like people are more important than that. So yes, you've got to focus on making sure you've got the money to pay everybody. But my first concern is like, their mental health like you know can I you know do you have food do you have toilet paper like what do we do oh you've got your kids in your house forget about that meeting we'll do it later or just send me an email like I just like I just care about the people and I know that like yes it is a good business strategy to care about the people but I actually like care about the people and it's it's nice that it actually follows on to you know a stronger business as well yeah for sure has there been anything
0: else really surprising for you that's happened throughout COVID?
1: Um, I think, I think people are, it's given people an opportunity to be really creative about the way that they get things done when the normal ways of doing things aren't possible anymore. And I'm racking my brain trying to think of an example. I'm sure I'll think of 20 after we get off our conversation but I think one of the things that's really not surprised me, but warmed me a bit is like how kind people can be. And like there are lots of people that aren't kind, but the the small acts of kindness that make a massive difference to people are popping up everywhere. And we see that in mentor walks a lot. And one of the things that we've been doing through mentor walks more recently is is it's amazing that you come and you want to get your advice and you want to understand, you know, how to get through your challenge, but actually it's about more than that. It's about paying it forward. And it's not just a woman in a senior position who can pay it forward. Somebody who's in an entry level or a first job out of uni or, you know, any, at any stage of their own business, what we're encouraging people to do as they walk away from one of our events is do one thing big or small that helps another woman. And it might be, I can see your stress. Is there anything I can do? Or it might be, wow, I've heard about this amazing job. Let me introduce you. Or it might be, actually, I don't think you're treating her fairly and I think we should do something about that. So it's very small to very big and they all make a massive difference. And I'm seeing that more and more. I just feel like COVID has stripped away a layer of bullshit and allowed people to just, like, jump in and be kind.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like it's really has... Helped people to let go of some of the excuses that were holding them back in business and in life, but then it's also helped yeah. them realize what's really important. Like, let's get back just to, to the bare bones of let's yeah. just care about the people in our space, in our business, in our lives, and care on a whole new level.
1: I think definitely. That's really and one thing actually that I I have seen that I love is the barriers to entry for new things have never been lower people are not afraid to try and they're not afraid to fail because they know they're doing their best just to get back on their feet or to, to maintain what they need to for their family or for their communities or for their businesses. And so failure becomes a mark of success and of somebody who's like making an effort and who's in there and doing it. It's not, it's not actually a negative thing to fail. It's like a sign that you're doing something great and you're moving forward. And I, I don't think I've ever seen that as much it's we've always like we're pushing back against failure being a negative thing and it's always some this big social stigma failure 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 and it's almost as though like i'll try it if it doesn't work that doesn't matter i'll learn from it and i'll move on to the next thing and people aren't as afraid to fail now and it's not a dirty word
0: yeah absolutely i totally agree love that
1: mm. so tell us a little bit more about
0: mental walks what do you feel that people walk away with that you feel makes it such an impact
1: Look, there's so many different components to it. At a very, very simple level, it's about connecting women to other women and, you know, women are fairly good at sharing and opening up if they're in the right position to be able to do so, but a lot of women don't know who they can talk to and a lot of people feel isolated because they think, well, I'm the only one who's in this situation or, you know, this is is a new situation that hasn't come up before or... I'm too embarrassed to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it with somebody I know, or, you know, I want to move in my business and I don't want other people to feel threatened by me. You know, how do I navigate that? And they don't know who to talk to. So mental walks is a really, really simple way for us to bring very, very high level experienced women together with women who don't know where to turn. Um, And also women who they might know where to turn, but they just want another, you know, like another component to their community or they want to, get some advice or just get, get some, you know, some inspiration and do something new. And so I think, you know, we've built a really good reputation for ourselves by, and it's, it comes back to the same thing as STM, focusing on the quality of the experience. Mm -hmm. And I think for Bobby and I both, this is so much about supporting women and not so the success lies in the fact that like the more women who walk away with something valuable, the more we've been successful. That's our measure of success. And so if we can put someone with someone and they can, you know, do something as little as I don't know how to have this difficult conversation to something as big as, well, I've got a huge role to fill and you're the right person to fill it, but I never would have come across you like, and everything in between. That's what happens. So like typically, like I said before, it's one mentor and two or three mentees, but it's not the mentor giving advice or telling the mentees what to do. It's the mentor guiding the conversation so that four people can have an intelligent, inspiring conversation. And everybody walks away with something new that they didn't know before. Mm. And, and that happens every time, every single time. And it's, and it happens not just for the mentees, it happens for the mentors as well. And I think in particular, you know, women who have moved to a certain level in their career where they're overseeing and not necessarily doing as much anymore. Um, like it allows them to kind of get back to their grassroots and and see things in a fresh new way and then apply that to the next situation that they come to. And I find that as well. Like when I mentor, I'm often learning so much more from the mentees than I feel like I've given them because they're they're creative and fresh and different and new. And it's not an age thing because there's women in, in the walks who are 22 and there are women who are 75. So it's got nothing to do with age. It's just got to do with a different perspective. And everybody's walking away with something valuable. Mm,
0: I love that. They're the best types of conversations. For well, sure. we're
1: in Brisbane. You should definitely come. Let's have a conversation afterwards about how you can get yeah. involved.
0: <laughs> definitely, definitely. And I think that, and actually tell us more, because you actually spoke about how with COVID, you've actually pivoted them to be more online. And you mentioned that you're actually going to keep an element of that. So how's that yes. us moving forward?
1: So when we have, we run in seven locations at the moment and we do either monthly or bimonthly physical walks where we get together, um, you know, there's 30 or 40 or sometimes up to 70 women who come together. We do an intro, we introduce all the mentors and then we tell everyone who they're with and they go off on separate walks, which is incredible because it's that shoulder-to-shoulder interaction that strips away a lot of the intimidation that women sometimes feel with senior with more senior people and it's just like a really authentic and amazing conversation and so when covid first hit i mean first and foremost we wanted to make sure that we were following government guidelines but also doing what was right for the community so just because you can get together in a big group doesn't mean that that was actually the right thing to do so we put a pause on and it was probably only about 3 weeks where we we sort of scrambled to with our some of our senior mentors and the people in our team to think, okay, how do we do this? And we've wanted to do an online component for quite a while. And this was an amazing opportunity to just, again, kind of get scrappy and just figure it out and do it. So the first virtual event we did was Dubbo. And that was also the first ever Dubbo event that we did. And it was wildly successful. And it allowed us to learn a lot about how people interact online and, you know, how to group people. Like, so we do you know, up to three women and a mentor in a physical walk, but we figured out that that's not a great dynamic for a virtual walk. It's much better to do two women and a mentor. So that's, you know, there's a lot of things that we learn from that. Um, The other thing that we've done as a direct result of COVID-19 is our mentor community kept coming to us and saying, what can we do? We know people are struggling. What can we do to help? And so many of them are like at the absolute top of their field and experts and things that are really really useful and helpful and the women who are really struggling because they've either lost their job or don't have money or are worried about losing their job or don't know what their transferable skills are or you know haven't got a handle on what their strengths are our mentors ha- can help people work that through so we set up a um we call it a conversation series we've run about five or six of them now and we do them every two or three weeks they're free events that we run either on a Tuesday or Wednesday evening from five till six, and it's one or two of our mentors running a sixty or ninety-minute, either a talk or a workshop that is on a specific topic that's relevant to our community at the moment. So we're getting up to three hundred registrations for each event, and we've and on average it's probably about one hundred and fifty women that are participating in each event from a mentee perspective, and it's been absolutely amazing mm. and again it's taught us like another another vertical on like how can we support our community and how can we be there for people mm-hmm. and it's given our mentors a way to support women that they wouldn't have been able to do and reach more women than they would have like just in their local community as well so uh, we feel like we've gotten pretty good at, I mean everyone's got zoom fatigue at the moment and we totally understand that but we're still getting the numbers because the conversations we're having are relevant yeah. and they're helpful And so we're running them every two to three weeks till the end of the year. And we will continue in some capacity to run a virtual version of mentor walks, even as those physical walks come back into play. And and the other thing it's allowed us to do, the virtual, is regional Australia is ridiculously important to us. It's like tugging at our heartstrings because the women in those communities are just as capable, just as driven, just as entrepreneurial and just as talented, but they're underserved with resources because they're not in a big city. Yeah. And so we've always had a thing that we want to get out to regional women. And we, we have done that. Like we've done it in Dubbo. We've done it in Geelong, not so regional, but like it's, you know, a smaller scale we've done it. You know, we're having conversations in, in other areas as well. Um, But there's still only a certain number of women that you can connect with when you expect them to drive to a location and physically walk. And what we found in Dubbo is that we're getting a much broader arc of women involved because of the virtual nature of the events. So we've had, like, whereas we would have had people coming from, you know, maximum maybe 20 kilometres away, we're now reaching an arc of 200 kilometres, which is phenomenal because those women would never have been able to get involved with something like this and they're offering immeasurable value to the other women who are involved yeah so and the women out we there, we will in
0: regional areas are so resilient they have so much to give yeah. and they want to yeah. be a part of it like in different roles that i've had in my life like visiting regional areas and I, i'm a country girl at heart as well like yeah. there is such an entrepreneurial spirit already in them that they yeah. have so much to gift and i think that it gives them access to other people in the cities that maybe, you know, would never be been before without that opportunity. So sorry. Definitely.
1: And, I mean, it, to that end, like, we've got... So, typically, we even though it's been virtual, we've been running the locations by location because what we often find, especially in the smaller areas, is that their the nature of their questions is very local. It's, like, local government or local contacts or, yeah. you know, like, local legislation. And so we've kept it, like, quite siloed in that way but for the next double walk we've got mentors from sydney coming so it's it really does allow us to kind of bring that in the other thing it does is that we have a number of like especially between sydney and melbourne we have a number of mentors who travel a lot between sydney and melbourne so they mentor in both locations and now what we're finding is like it's very easy for them to just pop in to the different locations And also a lot of women who they really want to support the program, but they don't have time to do more than once a year because they've got a very heavy travel load or they're very involved at board level. And those board meetings tend to be early in the morning. And so they can't commit as often as they'd like now because they don't have to travel to get to the walk, they can just pop in and out. And so we've got a a huge influx of mentors who love to support us, but have only been able to do it in a limited capacity now available to more women. So it's mm-hmm. in so many ways, it's just, it's helped us like explode.
0: And you mentioned some of the research that you then did to find out the impact of what this is creating. Can you share with us? Yes. Some of
1: that? Sure. So we have literally just finished. Like today we finalized the report that allows us to say what is actually going on. And I don't want to quote the numbers yet because i read I read it like five minutes before you and I got together and so I don't want to misquote anything. But, you know, Bobby and I had this this really deep um, intention to make sure that what we were doing wasn't just warm and fluffy. It didn't just make people feel good, but it actually had an impact on women and on their families and on their communities. And the only way to really prove that was by doing, like getting some independent research done. So we engaged an organisation called Leapfrog Research, and we designed with their help a survey that went out to our mentors and mentees asking them specifically what kind of impact mentor walks that had on them, either from a community perspective or like, have they gotten a new job? Have they gotten a pay rise? Have they gotten, have they started a business that they were thinking about before as a result of coming to a mentor walks event? And also and this was the big thing that we weren't expecting but should have been expecting is have they become job creators themselves. So it's not just about them getting jobs or getting better jobs. Have they also either in their organizations or in their own businesses created new roles mm. for other women as a result or other people as a result of being involved in mentor walks and the evidence is that yes, they have. So Amazing. I feel like crying when I even think about it because I'm just so happy that it actually works. I mean, we know it works, but it's all been anecdotal. Now we actually know that it really does work. Yeah,
0: incredible. Like, Yeah. yeah, So good. And I think that that is just completely giving that confirmation that this is worthwhile, yeah. taking it even bigger and spending more on time and energy. Absolutely.
1: And and the other thing as well is that like we... um in so many ways, qualify on a surface level for Commonwealth or state government funding to grow the program further. But with so much hardship going on, they have to be so careful about how they spend their money. And so they need to make sure they're putting their dollars into programs that really push the needle from an economic growth perspective for the country.
0: Mm. And
1: we need to be able to prove that we can do that. And now we can. Yeah, awesome.
0: So good, yeah. so good, and love
1: it. That's, that's the next step for us. Yeah. And so I see with some of the
0: mentors that you have as part of the mentor walks, they're quite big leaders in their industry or in their own in their own right. So I'd love to hear your take on what do you what do you feel creates great leadership?
1: The ability to listen <laughs> um, and to share your experiences in a way that supports people and doesn't dictate to them. I think that um, that you know where I've gotten the most valuable advice or experience shares from people that have guided me um, it's been about teaching me to grow and not doing the growth for me like not handing me the opportunity to step into a higher role but teaching me how to get there myself so that I can then apply that in different situations in my life Mm -hmm. and we are very very careful careful about the women who we bring into the program as mentors because it's it, it goes back to the quality of the experience and about having real impact and so we need to make sure that not I mean there are some incredible women who are very senior in their field but maybe they're just not that you know they're not positioned to actually share because maybe that's just not their personality type or maybe you know they are for a myriad of reasons so it's not just about being really really senior it's about understanding how to help how to lead people down the path so that they can grow themselves, not just tell them what to do.
0: Yeah, that's huge. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think that the more that you focus on that quality, it's only going to help grow the mentor walks because nobody likes to be told what to do.
1: (laughs) Definitely. And actually one of the biggest things that I've learned about being a mentor comes from Bobby, my partner in mentor walks. She always knows how to ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. So instead of just telling or even I mean she shares her experience a lot as well but she's extremely good at asking the right questions
0: Mm. yeah I love it when I see leaders actually sharing their experience or sharing their stories but it's almost become a metaphor so you're actually taking your own lesson from it and you're applying it to how it affects you and I think that that's a really powerful way for people to have their own self-awareness and self-realization
1: definitely and the truth is I mean I, I have you heard of the entrepreneurs organization EO so it's an incredible member-led organisation that's global and it's basically a, um, I know I'm going to describe this wrong, they're going to hear me say this and they're going to say, no, no, that's not how you describe it. But it's basically like a, a member-led organisation of entrepreneurs who support each other through their growth journeys and through their challenges. Yes. So each chapter, I'm in the Sydney chapter, each chapter um, organises forums of up to eight entrepreneurs in non-competing businesses where you come together once a month and you share your experiences and help each other through their challenges. But one of the basic, basic ground rules of the organization is you do not give your opinion, you share your experience. Mm -hmm. And the premise behind that is that your opinion is judgmental. And even if you don't mean to be negatively judgmental, it's still you judging the story and then giving your ideas about why something should or shouldn't happen. Whereas experience share is completely neutral and people can learn a lot more from the way that you behaved in a certain situation than they can from your ideas about what they should do. Yeah, and when you, when you give your opinion, even if it's not negative, there is a, there is a certain level of judgment that comes with it. And it's also a perceived judgment on their behalf, where, which they could take in a negative way or personally, whereas no one's ever going to take your experience share as, as a negative thing on them. And so it's been an, like an invaluable thing that I've learned through EO that I've worked, that I've done not just in EO, but it's extended out to my whole world. It's, it's far more valuable to share experiences than to give ideas on what you think people should be doing.
0: I absolutely agree because we as a human being, I mean, as much as we are trying to give and do the best we can, we can only ever share opinions based on our own experiences. Yeah. Right? So it's like, we can't, it's, and it does come, can come across as a judgment for sure. So I, yeah. I love that. I love that concept. It's really cool. It's,
1: really, it's so, it's been so valuable for me and I think it's made me, cause like, I mean, as you can tell from this conversation, I can talk, I can get involved in a conversation and I can get quite passionate about it. And so it's really taught me like it's, it's sort of rounded me out in a way that I don't think, would have happened if I didn't think consciously about doing that. Yeah. Wow. Mm.
0: And so is there any advice that you've been given from a mentor
1: or any story that you've that was shared with you that you'd love to share? Oh, I wish I'd prepared for this one. For me, what I have seen happen and what I've seen have the most impact on any situation is the power of relationships. So I try and make sure as much as I can that I have, strong people around me who know more than I do and have more experience than I do, but also be that strong person for other people so that there's a bit of a spider web effect where I can support people in their challenges and then I have people that I I can go to to support them in their challenges. And challenge doesn't have to be anything negative. It's just, you know, sometimes you need a bit of a boost to kind of get through something or you've got so much going on that you get stuck. And so I, I think for me, the best... The, the, the most useful and best experience that I've had as a person in business, but also as a person just in my life is, is surrounding myself with people who want to support each other and who want to be supported and supportive. So mm. that's, that's kind of where it comes down to for me. It's not a really cut and dry thing. It's not like one piece of advice. But I feel like it's one that kind of has a very broad implication. It means that you'll always, you don't have to know everything. You just need to know where to go to find the information.
0: Mm. And do you have a story that you love to share from your experience that you often find you share regularly with other
1: mentees? One, one, I think one, it's not one that I can even repeat, like because I can't remember the details of it now, (laughs) but I'll tell you what it is. So through EO, they had this couple... Uh, a married couple that their whole business is around conflict, like dealing with conflict. And there was a three, like a three hour program and a seminar. i probably even got it in my wallet. Uh, let me have a look. if I've got it. I used to carry it with me all the time, but it's basically, so it's all about dealing with conflict in the best way. It's when you want to, um, when you're, when you need to, to, to talk to someone about something that you feel is going to be contentious or when some, when you're dealing with a situation where somebody's being adversarial with you. So they, this couple gave out, like they did a three hour seminar on it and then they gave out a little card. Here it is. It's so amazing.
0: <laughs>
1: and in almost every situation that I, where I mentor and in so many different situations in my life, I pull this out and I either get people to take a photo of it or just share the tips on it because one side of it is raising delicate issues and the other side of it is responding to criticism Mm -hmm. and the gold that comes from both of those scenarios can be applied in so many different areas of life and I use it every day so I'm I'm so happy to kind of summarize and, and give that to you so that we can share it widely with your audience but That's something that I think is something that I use on an ongoing basis. And I share with people because I think it's really useful. Yeah.
0: Love it. So good. And
1: it takes the emotion out of it and allows you to deal with things in a way that gets you somewhere.
0: Yeah. And resolve the conflict rather than antagonize it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
1: Amazing. Wow. This conversation has
0: been so good. Thank you so much for sharing all of your experience and your ins and outs and everything that you've shared today. How I would love to know what's been one of your proudest moments in business.
1: Ah, that's such a good question. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, that we employ 50 people now directly and we have, you know, through the volume of product that we make a lot more people whose livelihoods depend on our success in business to feed their families and educate their families. So to me, like that's the success of our business comes down to how many, how many people this business can support the livelihood of. Like that's a proud like one of the proudest things for me I think it's also like it sort of comes a little bit back to my kids as well like I work so much and I think like I'm not as present as a parent as I would love to be um, and I think you know every working parent says that um, to some degree but when I hear them talk to their friends about the business or about me or, you know, when I see my seven-year-old, we're in JB Hi-Fi and he goes in and starts like tidying up the shelves. <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> that's awesome. I just, I feel like it's not just about like the business and the money. It's kind of like the knock-on effect that that has. And that's, that's what makes me proud to have a, a successful business.
0: Mm, love that. That is so awesome.
1: Well, Adina, thank you so much
0: for sharing all of this with us today. I'm going to make sure that I share all of this information and make sure that the links about mentor walks and STM in the, in the show notes. So everyone can check it all out and check Brilliant. that their, their laptop bags probably already. One of your, <laughs>
1: <laughs> It's possible. You you might go to the wardrobe and pull out your laptop bag and it's an STM. <laughs> yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you spending time.
1: Thank you. I really enjoyed our conversation. It was, it's really great to be able to have a good honest conversation about things like this
0: totally agree and i think it's so important especially as anyone's going through challenging times to hear these types of conversations really make a difference
1: yeah definitely thank you thank you for listening
0: and i hope you enjoyed today's episode of the next level life podcast i'd love to hear any takeaways that you've had from today's episode so please share with me on instagram and facebook and if you feel so moved please pass this episode on to any friends or family that you feel may benefit from it looking forward to speaking with you next week and here's to taking your life to the next level.